evening, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Wild Sports Talk live here on the MI6 Sports Network here on this Thursday, March 18th. Isaiah Leong joining you from the Bay Area. I got my guys, Sammy Sharp and Lorenzo Antonio alongside me as well. And folks, we are privileged and honored to be joined tonight by a very special guest, Dan O'Dowd, who was the general manager of the Colorado Rockies from 1999 to 2014, and now he currently serves as an analyst for MLB Network, joins us here on the show tonight. Dan, thank you so very much for taking the time to join us on tonight's show. We really appreciate you. Hope you had a great St. Patrick's Day. Welcome onto the program, and how are you doing tonight? Isaiah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really impressed by what you and Sammy and Lorenzo have done with your podcast. And so I uh, appreciate you having me on. Let's talk some baseball. Yeah, definitely, man. It's a pleasure and a joy to have you on the show. Um, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into the show with Dan, I uh, just want to give you guys a couple of quick announcements. You know, this is our YouTube channel, our MI6 Sports Network YouTube channel. Down below, you guys can click the link and you know, give us a couple of clicks as well. And also, uh, this is our MI6 Sports Network website. You guys can go check that out for some articles and our podcast. But Dan, I want to move to our first question of the night. And I want to begin by talking to you about, you know, your beginning in baseball. You know, obviously you worked for the Colorado Rockies from 1999 to 2014. You are the longest GM in the history of the Colorado Rockies. So, Dan, I want to ask you, you know, what made you decide to want to work as a baseball executive? And also, who are some key mentors that really helped shape you and guide you to your ultimate destination of being the general manager of the Colorado Rockies? Well, Isaiah, that's a great question. I think anything in life, I think you're predisposed to having a passion for something that you want to do. In my case, from a very early age, I'd love the game of baseball. I'd loved everything about it. I certainly wanted to play. Realized as I got through college, that probably wasn't going to be part of the agenda as I wasn't talented enough. But I love also the, all the intricacies of the game, the statistical analysis of the game, scouting players. Uh, you know, I just always lent myself to have a strong belief that I wanted to stay in the game from a very early age. And so I pursued it. Um, I was very, very fortunate early in my career uh, to get hired by the Baltimore Orioles in uh, 1983. And a gentleman by the name of Hank Peters, who at that time front offices in the game were exceptionally small compared to today. And Hank Peters turned out to be my mentor. He was the GM and president of the club. Uh, I started selling tickets on 33rd Street in uh, Old Memorial Stadium. I carried my little ticket uh, counter out with a police officer with my money. And I'd sell to all the fans that came up to want to buy a ticket to go to an Oriole game. And that's how I started my career in professional baseball. But again, Hank uh, was very, I was very fortunate to be around a gentleman that just really believed in my ability and saw something in me that, you know, not sure what he saw, but he saw something in me. And then when he went to the Indians in 1988, he hired me to run their player development area. And then I was fortunate to connect with John Hart, um, who was the uh, president and turned out to be the GM of the Indians. And we formed a Batman and Robin duo. And I learned so much from John. And then, you know, just blessed that uh, when I left the Indians in 99, I had 
three opportunities to become a GM in Milwaukee, Seattle, or <clears throat> Colorado. I ended up, you know, going to Colorado and, you know, I, yeah, I was very fortunate for a long run there. So, I mean, again, very blessed to have been able to pursue something that I really love from a very early age. Yeah, Dan, you know, when I uh, work with the A's and the A's always tell us, you know, it 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 doesn't really matter where you start. It's about you be, you start at the beginning and you work your way up to the top. And, you know, who knows, like you went from selling tickets to uh, becoming a GM and working in a baseball front office. You know, other people can go from being an usher or selling concession or working in concessions to ultimately working uh, in a baseball front office. It just depends on, you know, your work ethic and how hard you work. But my second question, Dan, I want to ask you is, you know, what kind of advice would you give someone out there that is watching our show right now that is aspiring to become a GM or a president of baseball ops one day? Well, depending upon the age group that they're in, uh, if they're a young person that's uh, looking to go to college, um, you know, I get a ton of questions about, like, what should I do in college? Where should I go to school? Um, what should my focus be? So my answer to that is a couple things, is that, one, go to the best college and get the best education you possibly can, something that I call stretching yourself, getting out of your comfort zone, something that's going to really make you become um, a great appreciation of learning. Uh, the, all the young people that I've hired in my career, they did three things exceptionally well. They processed thought quickly, they were problem solvers, and they were creative thinkers. So go to college not to be defined in just one area, uh, but if you have a specific specificity of math or science, that's fine. Just become a really well-rounded individual. Go to college not for your grades, go to college for your education come out a more intellectually gifted person than the one you win, but also learn how to interact with people, how to present ideas, how to be a good listener, uh, how to gr have great interpersonal skills. Uh, so you can fit into any environment that you might be placed within. So many younger people are so defined that I want to work in baseball operations where I'm going to go down the route to statistical analysis because front offices, you know, have those departments have grown exponentially since when I ran a team. But you could be the smartest analytical guy in the world or person in the world. And if you can't present your ideas in a way that uh, inspires others to want to do that, interact with others, those skills are be completely wasted. So become the most intellectually gifted, most well-rounded individual you can and get started anywhere you can within an organization. Get, just get your foot in the door and then network yourself within that organization to let people know what you really want to do. And then you have to have a tremendous amount of persistence, resiliency, and patience. Yeah, excellent advice, Dan. Um, you know, I'm going to go to uh, Loro, who wants to ask you, you know, about your career with the Rockies and the Indians, as well as the Orioles. Go ahead, uh, sure. Lorenzo. So, Dan, uh, my question for you is, what is it like being a GM and evaluating talent? And my, my other question is, how long did you work for the Colorado Rockies, Cleveland Indians, and Baltimore Orioles? And what was your role with the Cleveland Indians and the Baltimore Orioles? Okay, and I'll start from the bottom up. Um, for the Orioles, I started in ticket sales. Uh, I then worked in their broadcasting and marketing area. And then I became an administrative assistant in the scouting and player development areas, answering phone, following reports. Uh, <clears throat> I then got a little scouting territory. <coughs> in Southern Maryland when I started evaluating players on a full basis. 
Um, and then when I left the Orioles in 1988, so I started with the Orioles in 1983, left the Orioles in 1988. And when I went to the Indians, I, I ran the player development area. I then had the opportunity to oversee both their player development scouting area, and then I became their assistant GM. And then from there, I became a GM in um, in Colorado. So uh, valuing players, I mean, honestly, anytime you're on the baseball side of an operation, you're evaluating players. I evaluated players probably more in my roles of um, player development director and scouting director or scouting, overseeing scouting than I did as a GM. A lot of your role as a GM is becomes a, a little bit administrative heavy uh, because you get pulled in a lot of different direction. But I think the, your ability to evaluate talent and judge talent is probably for me still the most paramount skill that you can have to be successful on the personnel side of the game of baseball. Oh yeah, absolutely, Dan. I mean, another. I'm going to add this. So, uh, what do you do? You, do you still have some close relationships with the Colorado Rockies? Do you still keep in touch with GM Jeff Babich? Uh, Brightish. No, I really don't. Uh, Lorenzo, I find that when you make a change in life, it's difficult to move forward when you're constantly looking back. Uh, I still, you know, I still watch the players that we drafted and developed over there because I take great pride in that. But as far as, you know, Jeff and his group are making their own identity now, they certainly don't need me in any way, shape, or form as part of their process. And again, I really wanted to move on to the next phase of my life and focus on, you know, what I'm doing now without looking back. So I really haven't, I mean, I still hope there's a great amount of um, respect for everything that I attempted to do there. Colorado was a, a challenging beast from a personnel model standpoint. It's a very unique environment to try to build a roster in that particular situation. So, I mean, we try a lot of different things, so I hope there's some respect for that. But, again, I, I wish those guys the best of luck, but I really haven't stayed that close in contact with them. Dan, I consider myself a Pirates Indian fan, as we talked earlier. Uh, you know, I live in Pittsburgh right now in the Pittsburgh area, yep. and I'm 22, and I've only seen the Pirates, you know, contend for the playoffs only really once in my life. And uh, the manager was um, Clint Hurdle. And I know you right. and him work, have worked together. I, do you have any stories you'd like to share about him? Not on this show. Uh, no, I'm just I'm just kidding you there. Um, Clint is a tremendous leader of men. I mean, he's very, very authentic in who he is as a person. Uh, his beliefs are very strong and passionate. He leads from a position of believe, uh, believing in something bigger than himself. I think his team reflect when the Pirates are really good. I think his team reflected that where I think he had everybody rowing in the same boat in the same direction. Um, so, I mean, just honestly, the, the, the night we won the 2007 um, National League uh, Championship uh, Series against the Diamondbacks, just the, the, the story that I have is just a complete look in Clint's eye of incredible joy of accomplishing something together when no one thought that was really possible in our particular venue and just seeing the complete uh, utter joy and satisfaction of a job that he, that he played an integral, integral part of uh, getting us there would be my greatest memory of Clint and our, and my time together. Now, you know, you, you did a lot of uh, pretty good job in Colorado as far as finding players like uh, Telewitzki or not finding, but signing them, uh, Matt Holliday, 
Uh, is there any players that you had a chance to grab that you said that you go back and look and say, dang, I wish I would have grabbed them? Oh, Sammy, there's so many that I don't even remember all of them, honestly. You you always do autopsies on your decisions, and you always can second guess. And some of the trades I've made and look back on, you know, some of my focus was on winning in that immediate 12-month period. When I look back at it, maybe I should have looked a little lower in systems. And, uh, you know, then I should have looked at certain players that ended up being great players. I would say, though, guys, the one play – I mean, I, I'm really proud of the cargo deal when we acquired Carlos Gonzalez and Houston Street from that holiday. But I think the one deal I'm most proud of in my career, because I try to focus on the positives and not the negatives, is the acquisition of E.J. LeMayhew. We traded a former number one pick in Ian Stewart with a tremendous upside, former number one pick in Casey Mize, who had struggled with us and had some injury issue, issues. But a really unheralded individual who – I think most of the scouting world thought that DJ was a uh, a good player, a solid contributor, but not a star quality player. And, uh, you know, I really felt strongly that there was something more there. And Jim Hendry, who was the former GM of the Cubs, a really dear friend of mine, you know, I reached out to him during the winter meetings when we made the trade for him. And Jimmy gave me some great insight into the intangibles that DJ possessed. I thought DJ had elite basketball skills and strike zone recognition. And I can't be more proud of the star that he's turned into at the big league level. And I'm really, really happy to have been a part of giving him that opportunity to really flourish at the big league level. Yeah, definitely. You know, you watch DJ LeMahieu's career from when he first came up in Colorado to, you know, now with the New York Yankees. And you're just amazed at the rise that he has gone through. But, Daniel, shifting gears into our baseball preview segment of the show, the 2021 MLB season is uh, just about two weeks away. And, Dan, you know, as I as we talked pre-show, I'm a huge A's fan and I work for the A's. And, you know, the A's, they've been breaking my heart uh, my entire life with uh, just failure in the postseason. But, uh, you know, the A's are coming off a season in which they won the American League West. They toppled <laughs> the Houston Astros. They made a lot of good acquisitions this offseason despite losing Marcus Simeon and Liam Hendricks. They added Elvis Andrews to play shortstop. They added uh, Sergio Romo, Yusmero Petit, Trevor Rosenthal to bolster in a ready loaded bullpen. Dan, is this the year that the A's finally break through and, you know, win the American League and possibly go to the World <laughs> Series? Well, I tell you, Isaiah, I've done this gig for a long time, and I can tell you there's skill and luck involved in the game of baseball. Through the course of a long season, skill supersedes luck. Uh, but when you get into series and postseason, buddy, I mean, it's all just so much of it is the way the ball bounces and how things fall out. Your job as an executive is to try to put your club in position in September to have an opportunity to play in October and then give your team the best opportunity once they get to October to have a chance to win. I don't think there's anybody in the game that does more on less than Billy Bean and uh, David Forrest. I think it shows again this year. And I think they're going to be highly competitive. I think they have the most underrated pitching staff starting rotation in the game right now. Um, and I think it's going to show through the course of the season. I thought the acquisition of Rosenthal was brilliant. If he can just be even 75% of he was a year ago. And the Elvis Andrus, you know, acquisition was just they parlayed Chris Davis into Elvis Andrus when they didn't even have a shortstop. Um, and again, I think the age, I think that the Astros are still the most talented team in the division for me, but I think they're vulnerable. I think the age are positioned well. I think the Angels are going to be a lot better than what people think. 
Um, so I think it should be a highly competitive division because I, though the majors are in a rebuilding mode, I think the Mariners are going to be better than people think too. But I, I do think that's a three-team horse race between the Angels and the Astros and the A's. So, Dan, are you worried, you know, with the Angels, uh, the they have a great offense with Mike Trout, you know, Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani, but are you worried about the lack of uh, quality starting pitching in their rotation? See, I think they have quality starters. I just don't think they have an impact guy, unless that turns out to be Otani. I thought I quit. I think Quintana's going to give him solid innings in the middle of rotation. I think Dylan Bundy's a solid star. I think Griffin Canning's going to take another step in his career. I think Haney's got upside. Um, so if Otani can make that jump, I would like to see Otani play every day as a position player because I just think the guy is a superstar if he plays every day as a position player. We're seeing a glimpse of that in spring training. You know, I do think for the Angels, for me, it's going to come down to their bullpen. I think their bullpen, not many people talk about it, was not good last year. And so um, a Glacier acquisition should help, but I'm just not sure yet about their bullpen. I think it's a club that's going to score runs. I think they'll catch the ball. Um, but I just think it's a, I think they're going to starting pitching will be capable. If they can win the games they're supposed to win, I do think it's a club that has a chance to win that division. Yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, the race in the AL West this upcoming season. But uh, Lorenzo wants to ask you, Dan, about, you know, the NL West and the Dodgers sure. and the Padres. Go ahead, Lorenzo. All right. So we got we got we got. So I got a couple of questions for you about the NL West and then we'll talk about who will be the best division in the league this year. So, Dan, with the Padres getting Blake Snell, you Darvish, Mark Melanson, Keon Kella. And also the Padres have the similar lineup to like the Dodgers have from one to eight. Do you think the San Diego Padres can challenge the LA Dodgers for the NL West crown? I do think they can challenge them. Certainly. So do I think they're better than the Dodgers? Absolutely not. Um, you know, I still have to see, you know, how the team fits together as a whole. I don't think talent necessarily is the only thing that wins championships. I think character and team unity do too. I call it the human analytical part of the game. And I think the Padres really started to show signs of that a year ago. Uh, but it's also a very short sample size. So I still have to see how they're going to go through the rigors of the ups and downs and the adversity that seasons possess uh, present and how they react to that. But talent-wise on paper, Padres are loaded. They're by far the two most talented teams in the National League. I wouldn't say by far. I feel like the Braves and the Mets – have made significant progress and closed the gap too. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this NL West uh, race between the Dodgers and the Padres coming from a Dodger fan myself. I've watched sure. Dodger Padre games all my life, but also my other question for you is, do you think that after the Dodgers had a 60 game season last year, do you think that the Dodgers, now that they got Trevor Bauer to their rotation, they re-signed Justin Turner and then they let guys go like Kike and Jack, Will the Dodgers still be able to win back-to-back -back World Series titles in 2021? I think they have the talent to do that, without a doubt. Again, and they have depth, um, and they be, they're able to handle the attrition of a long season better than a lot of organizations. Uh, the Trevor Bauer acquisition is interesting for me. Uh, he's a very, very talented pitcher. Um, but the Dodgers have a very strong team-oriented culture. And so I'm just interested to see – because for me in the past, Trevor, I would call Trevor a 24 and one guy. So you had 24 guys plus one. And the Dodgers are a true team environment. And I do think their culture can handle that. But I think Trevor's going to really have to perform 
And uh, 2019, I think he would have been uh, should be American League uh, Cy Young if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, 2018, but 2019 wasn't a great year for him. 2020 was dominant. It was a short sample size. He certainly has lengthened their rotation dramatically. Uh, but I think that the Padres all set that with the acquisition of both Darvish and uh, Snell. So it'll be real interesting. It'll be really, really interesting to see how that race plays. The 19 times they play will be like the Red Sox matchups from the 90s uh, and the 2000s. They're going to be must-see TV. It will be must-see TV between the Dodgers and the Potters, but – but also another NL West question for you is who do you think will be the third best team in that division? Knowing that Colorado traded Nolan Arenado and then the Giants are still kind of in a rebuild phase. And then the Diamondbacks, I mean, they have decent players like Catal Marte, David Peralta. Do you think that the Diamondbacks could be the third best team in the National League West? I think they could but maybe between them and the Giants. <clears throat> I think the Giants made tremendous progress a year ago. I think they're better than they were a year ago. And uh, I think it's a large market team that has the wherewithal to add to their club as the season goes on. I don't think the Diamondbacks are in a position to do that. Tori Lovello does a great job. Some of the Diamondbacks' parts are always greater than the individual parts. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how those two, two teams battle. But I think it's those two teams for the best third team in that division. And what about the Rockies in your assessment? Do you think that with, when them, with them trading – I think the Rockies are going to have – yeah, I think the Rockies are going to have really good starting pitching. As much as the starting pitching can hold up in that environment that they play in, I think it's going to come down to their bullpen. I think it's a club that will score runs. They're not as deep as they were in past years. So I do think when you look at their talent, I look at talent as a 1-30, to 1-40 to 40 proposition. I'd say they're last in the division as far as their talent from 1-40. to 40. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to this upcoming baseball season, but – my other question for you is, what di which division will be the best in the league in 2021? I ask that because I think the NL West is going to be very good. I think the NL East is tough as nails. I think the NL Central is the best in baseball. But do you have a, a, a division that really – Yeah, I think the NL East by far is the most talented division, top to bottom in the game. I think even when you look at the Marlins and the arms that they run out every six days that they go with a six-man rotation is their dominant arms. And uh, they've got a ton of good arms in their bullpen, and they've got young position players coming. So I, I even think the team that should finish last in that division, if they were in the National League Central for me, would be a club that you might consider getting a playoff berth. They're that talented. So I think by far the National League East is the deepest, most talented division in the game. It is, but also in the Amer in the American League, could you consider the American League East or the American League West a tough division? Um, you know, for me right now, <clears throat> Yankees are, the, for me, on paper, the best team. I think there's a significant difference in margins, too, in the American League East, um, in all American League. I think the Rays will still be competitive. They just find would be competitive every year. They've got great talent. I think the Red Sox are going to be better than what people think. I think the Orioles are completely going to be playing for number one thing in, in the draft a year from now. I, I think they'll be competitive offensively. I'm not sure how good their pitching will be. Um, I, I'm fascinated, quite honestly, of all the divisions in the American League. I'm more fascinated by the Central. I think I'm, uh, I'm White, Sox, White Sox wins to me is going to be a battle royale. And my surprise team in the game this year is the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Kansas has City a lot, good. Kansas they're City's a lot deeper good, and they're a lot better than what people think they are.
Uh, Dan, you know, before we continue on with our, you know, MLB preview segment, I want to, you know, sneak a question that one of our viewers had for you, and that is coming from uh, Casey King, and that is, uh, Dan, do you have any desire, you know, to return as a GM again with somebody down the road? No, not as a GM. Um, maybe the right job as a, a, a president came along, but, you know, I really love what I'm doing now at the network, and I don't. I don't feel myself over the wins and losses, any mostly the losses anymore. And I've got a great quality of life. And, uh, you know, I, I loved what I did, but I also know that, you know, how hard those jobs are and the sacrifice it takes to those jobs. So never say never in life, but more than likely, I don't feel like that opportunity is going to come down the line. Yeah, definitely. Those jobs uh, definitely, you know, require a lot of energy out of a person. But Dan, you know, I got to put you on record, you know, uh, baseball season is starting in a couple of weeks. So what are your six playoff teams, you know, for both the National League and the American League, if you can uh, give it to us? I can't do that because I can wait and do it on the network. So oh. I, can't, I can't provide that to you. Sorry about that, Isaiah. <laughs> could, I, could I tell you mine then? Sure, go ahead. All right. So for the... Um, for the National League East, uh, I got to go with, you know, the Atlanta Braves, even though I'm a huge Phillies fan, uh, because I think the Braves are just the best division in that – yeah, the best team in that division. Uh, the Central, you know, I think it's going to come down to the Cardinals, and then I could see the Reds. I like what the Reds did this offseason, but I'll still say the Cardinals. And then the West, I got to go with the Dodgers because I just think, you know, if a team hasn't – toppled the other team like the Padres haven't you know taken that or gone above the hump and you know toppled the Dodgers I still got to go with them and then um I for my uh the wild card teams I would say is you know my wow this is actually really tough since I gotta go with the Padres from what they've done this uh offseason and Dan I'm gonna surprise you with my second wild card and that is the Phillies I think the Phillies can surprise well, you're a lot a fan. of fans you should have it yeah, definitely. And, and also, like, you know, the team wasn't that bad last season. I think a lot of people are uh, underestimating this team. You know, they won 28 games, but their bullpen, they blew 13 saves last season. So if they can just, you know, get better in the bullpen, I think they will have a really quality year. And then uh, for the American League, I think the East has got to be the Yankees. Uh, the Central, it's definitely going to be Battle Royale between the, tw uh, the Twins and the White Sox, but I got to give it to the White Sox. And for the AL West, Dan, you know, I got to roll with my, uh, my Oakland A's. Oh, yeah, you know? I hope so. Yeah, de definitely for sure. And then for the, a for the wild cards, you know, I'll go with the Twins and, ooh, the last ones. That's, ooh, uh you know what? I'm going to say the Angels. I like what the Angels did, you know, uh, with, you know, with adding Quintana, adding uh, the closer from the, the Reds to their bullpen. So those are those are my uh, playoff teams. For these good coming picks. I don't agree with you completely, but good picks. Yeah, that, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, man. Uh, but, Sammy, uh, I heard that uh, you got a question for Dan about, um, you know, what he would do in regards to uh, small market and big market teams. Go ahead. Yeah, I had a question because, you know, you have teams like the Pirates and the Indians right now that are barely spending any money. And the thing is, you know, there's a it's tough for them in free agency to battle for these big-name players, their own big-name players, to, uh you know, retain them. You know, like and if Andrew McCutcheon would have went to free agency in his prime, he probably would have went to a big-market team and got a big contract. 
you know, we have a lot of owners reluctant to spend the big money to keep these players. If you're in the MLB uh, competition committee, what would you propose to try to uh, resolve that or try, you know, to, um, you know, prevent that from happening? You know, Sammy, that has existed in our game since the turn of the century. Uh, You're going to always have large markets, small markets. Um, I think it just comes down to the efficiency of how clubs operate. You guys asked me early on in this broadcast about scouting players. I don't think you're going to devise a system that's going to separate market sizes at all. So I think it comes down to the proficiency of your ability to scout players and develop players and constantly keep a flow of talent. If, if I'd address anything, I probably would address the ability for smaller market teams uh, based upon revenue size, not not necessarily wins and losses, the ability to access more talent through the entry draft and through international the uh, international signing period to give them a little bit more capability of adding more younger players because at the end of the day, their only chance to be competitive year in, year out is identifying and developing talent. So giving them maybe a little bit greater opportunity to participate in those areas than some of your larger market teams. Now, keep in mind, too, a large market team is not a large market team if they spend money on like on free agents. Like the Yankees did not act like a large market team this offseason. One, because we're coming off a pandemic or actually still in one, um, but because of the Gary Cole commitments that they've made and understanding at some point in time they, they had to pay LeMahieu, which they did this offseason, Aaron Judge, at some point in time. So if you don't pay payroll flexibility, that's great as much as the Dodgers have done, Lorenzo. Uh, they're boxed their payroll flexibility moving forward. We're not, they're not going to be able to be that aggressive in other player acquisition. So my point to that all, Sammy, is that it evens out over a period of time. The Indians, for me, Indians have won the second most games in Major League Baseball since 2016, uh, right behind the Dodgers. Second most games. Pittsburgh's been a different story as I felt like they have been a complete rebuilding pattern now for a number of years. And I said, they feel like, you know, they got caught in a window where they were competitive and now now they're outside that window trying to get back into that window. This issue is never going to go away. And I've all I've run is small mid-market clubs. And so I can tell you in when you're inside those offices, you don't even talk about it. You just focus on what you can do. Dan, uh, one final question for you before we let you go. So when I was doing research into your career, you know, I stumbled upon uh, win reality. And I hear, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, uh, you are the founder and the chairman of win reality. Do I have that correct? Right. Correct. All right. So can you explain to the audience what exactly is win reality? And, you know, if folks out there that are watching our broadcast uh, right now, if they're interested in win reality, where can they find uh, that service? Sure. First of all, it's winreality.com. So you can go on our website, which explain everything we can do, and you can certainly order our our system. So, uh, Isaiah, I appreciate you asking that. You know, for me, one of the the bigger obstacles and frustrations I had in developing players was being able to train at game speed. Um, the pitcher hit, hit the pitcher hitter matchup in particular was of enormous frustration for me because I felt like batting practice, why important, did not replicate anything that would happen in the game whatsoever. And pitching machines can't replicate it because you can't get rhythm off of something that doesn't throw with a delivery and an arm. So the only thing that could replicate game speed was the game itself. That's why it took so long for players 
uh, to become more proficient in their skill level because you just needed more at-bats to be able to face pitching to become better at it. And so I started looking into the world of mixed reality, VR and AR, years ago. It was even something anybody even talked about. When I left the Rockies, I uh, started looking at it uh, a little bit more specifically. And um, when my son, my old son, Chris, who was a Dartmouth grad and played six years of minor league baseball, got released, uh, he really was the one that helped me take the concept to a different level. So basically, uh, you can buy a set of uh, Quest 2 Oculus uh, VR headset. You see them all over commercials now. You download, you buy a subscription when reality, you go inside our experience and you're actually taking live game speed at bats against live pitching, depending upon your age group. We started with uh, basically five challenges based all around pitch recognition and strike zone awareness. Because for me, the unhidden, undertaught uh, skill in the game is we focus so much on the swing, it's what happens before the swing. And what happens before the swing, you got to see it and you got to recognize it early to be able to be on time because hitting is all about being on time. So the original genesis of the product is all about pitch recognition and strike zone awareness, complete correlation. The guys that dominate the strike zone at the big league level, so have very high walk per nine rates and very low strikeout per nine rates are your best players in the game. So it was originally designed to do that. And now we're adding the actual ability to hit in a VR, AR environment with inside our experience. And again, it's for ages pretty much eight all the way up through all the league players that are currently use it. We have two thirds of major league teams that utilize our product, probably 90 and mostly all of the power five conferences in collegiate baseball and a huge group of consumers now um, numbering in the thousands that utilize our product. It's a, Tremendous product. We have a full uh, office in Austin, Texas, and a full organization supportive of baseball. And now we're involved in softball, too, because we can replicate the softball. We take live actual footage. We place it in a software so the patterns are exactly the same movement patterns of any pitch that a hitter will see in a live game action. And then you immerse yourself into that world. So you're actually in that world with a full ballpark noise, everything as if you were playing in a live game. It's a really incredible product. Wow, that sounds amazing, Dan. Uh, you know, definitely, you know, for the folks that are interested, you know, we'll have that uh, winreality.com website down below in the comment section so you guys can go check that out. But Dan, um, you know, it's been uh, truly an amazing show, man. I uh, just want to, you know, reiterate how appreciative we are to have you on our show, you know, for a guy with all the accomplishments that you have achieved and the credentials to say yes to coming on our podcast, which ain't that big time yet, you know, really means a lot, man. So thank you so much, man. Uh, best of luck to you moving forward and, um, you know, have a great show, you know, with MLB Network. Well, Isaiah, thank you for having me on. And I love coming on with younger people because uh, you are the future of the game. Baseball. I appreciate your passion and the game. And I hope you um, can find your way to make an impact in the game in your own way. And I appreciate you guys having me on. I wish you the best of luck.
Yeah, thank you so much, man. Uh, it, was, it was a great show today, but that's Dan O'Dowd, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, want to thank all the viewers for tuning in tonight and commenting on our show. Really appreciate that. Uh, make sure you guys tune in on Saturday. We will have our MI6 Sports Network one-year anniversary special, so it will be a great show. Tune in for that one. But, guys, that's Dan O'Dowd once again. It was an excellent show. Um, we'll, once again, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you guys on Saturday. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks.